0: and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. I'm really delighted and thrilled to be joined today by Deborah Stanley. Deborah is the president at um, the State University of New York at Oswego, I'm known better locally as Oswego or SUNY Oswego. It's a post that she has held for 26 years at an institution that she has served more than 40 years. Um, uh, what an experience. What a run. A couple of words about Deborah, and then we will ask her to reflect on that. She earned her bachelor's and, and juris doctorate degree from Syracuse University and began her academic and teaching career at we go in the School of Business. Prior to serving as president, Deborah served as vice president for academic affairs and provost, and then interim president um, before being appointed fully to the presidency in 1997. Boy, after a long and su- successful career, Deborah announced earlier um, this year that she'll retire at the end of December. She is well known to uh, all of us at, uh, at academic search. She serves as the chair of AALI, the American Academic Leadership Institute, and she's a vice chair of the Academic Search Board. More than that, I would tell you that I'm grateful um, that uh, my very first um, search at Academic Search was one chaired by Deborah Stanley, then the chair of the ASCII Board, that um, yielded um, Millie Garcia, becoming the the, uh, the successor to Muriel Howard. I learned a lot from Deborah. Um, I picked up some tools of the trade that I am continuing to use to this day. Um, Deborah, what a joy it's been, uh, frankly, to have known you um, at the beginning of your presidency in my final years in an ASCU presidency, and then to have been, uh, I had this opportunity to work with you both through ASCU and through AALI and Academic Search. You and Michael have had an enormous impact on uh, on your part of the state and especially on SUNY Oswego so welcome to you thank you thank you so much
1: Jay I'm so happy to be here today who doesn't like talking about themselves and maybe reflecting on their their own history and their professional life
0: well and and you are at a precious point in reflection as you count down the final couple of months of uh, of of a life that you have led and and um, The extraordinary accomplishments um, um, that have um, taken place um, uh, at SUNY Oswego. The growth and development is really a remarkable legacy that you're leaving. You know, one one of our goals for this program is to ask leaders to do exactly that, to reflect and think about your own pathway with the hope that something in your story may be helpful or inspiring to our listeners. And so I'd love for you to talk about people, places, events that really helped to define um, your pathway?
1: I think I would have to start with maybe attributes that are either generic or genetic or God-given if you will, Um, because if you looked on the surface of my life, at least until I went to college and law school, you might not say I was headed in this direction by the time I was 19 years old, I had two children and I was married. <laughs> so I left high school and, and did not go immediately to college. I followed a husband to law school on the Syracuse University campus um, and had was in an incredibly exciting time in the early 70s when things were happening everywhere. And things were certainly happening for women everywhere. And I was here immersed in this eclectic environment of people who were traditional age graduates, but also those who were returning from Vietnam with full families. And I was living amongst them right on the Syracuse University campus. And you can understand what was happening in my world. I was growing and developing in ways that were expanding my mind and my heart beyond anything imaginable in my earlier life. And that really set me on a course that was a bit different. But I think it was the attribute of stubbornness that kept me going. Um, When I was younger, I don't think of it as stubbornness. I think of it as (laughs) stick-to-itiveness. I'm a determined individual. If I can't go easily alongside, I go through up or around, whatever it is. And I usually plan it out pretty well so that it is a course that takes a natural course and and also is beneficial all the way around to whatever object I'm seeking. But my parents might have called me stubborn at the time. Luckily, I integrated that as a person who really wanted to get things done. And Even at that age, when I had the opportunity finally to go to college and to go right on to law school, full-time, both of them, um, I think those attributes took me there. And, And that's really where this journey started. The journey of making sure that I could live the ideals I was learning and that I was gravitating toward, especially as a woman, in the society I was learning about. And I had a daughter and a son, and it was very meaningful to me to move in those directions. So there were people along the way, certainly. My parents, wonderful people. You know, my story sounds a little tragic, doesn't it? Two children by the age of 19. Well, I happened to have parents who never really gave up. (laughs) Anytime I turned around, they were there and they were, taking children off for a few days while I studied or coming in to bring food. And they traveled to do that, uh, sometimes over 90 miles. But uh, so I had help along the way. But I had professors who understood, who, who especially female professors, and there were very few of them at the time, but they put their hand out and brought me along. And that was very important to me. And what was mainly important was that I saw that as an example not just to help for me, but I integrated it as something that I could learn to do later in life. So I, as I think back, I'm awfully glad about the, the turns and twists that my life took, but I'm also so grateful for the people whose lives passed my path along the way.
0: That's spectacular. I, I was thinking as you were describing stubbornness, and you mentioned it being genetic. Um, that perhaps there was some, uh, you know, parental impact. But I also hear the importance of their continued faith in you, and support for you. Um, and so, thank you for, thank you for sharing all, all, all of that. Um, uh, none of us um, make these journeys alone. That's for sure when you think back to the mid 90s when you became the executive leader and you think about today are there differences in the skill sets that are needed for people to be successful in the presidency in your mind or is it more the same I often the question I ask myself often is would father Hesberg be successful today I think so. I do too.
1: (laughs) I really do think so. I think um, insight, compassion, putting other people's interests at the forefront, really vesting and investing in the experiences of other people and listening well are so important in our roles as leaders. Uh, We can't leave that behind. You know, I think about this a lot. I think about how, I also think about it often in reference to what pop culture thinks of as leadership. So, and I'm gonna call it pop culture because I'm going to diminish it a little bit rather than just culture. So when you talk about leadership, often people think in a kind of male dominated way that leadership is decisive, that leadership is fast, that leadership is blunt, that leadership just overturns everything and makes a definitive statement. And I don't necessarily think of that as leadership. One of my mantras has always been, let it steep. And I say that to people all the time. And I got that from a former provost who was not provost when I became provost myself, but, he happened to stop by to talk to me one day and he said, you know, that pile I see over there, he said, why don't we put it behind you? And I said, because I have to get to it. I have to get answers out there. And he said, when? I said, I think yesterday. And he said, why don't you put it behind you? Do a little experiment for me put it behind you and three weeks from now, pick it up and tell me which one of those things was really a problem because you didn't answer it immediately. And I I didn't do it for all of them, but I did it for a great many of them. And it was a revelation to me that I was thinking differently about many things. I had more understanding, I had more information. My analysis was a little bit different, it was broader. And I was going to make a better decision or a better recommendation to the president because I had waited a little longer. So that was that was really informative for me to take that to heart and think about what is leadership? Do I have to conform to what people are demanding is the optics of leadership? Or should I really take heart in doing it the way that will probably lead us down a path to the best solutions? And hopefully I go in that direction. Now, sometimes of course you have to act with urgency in an an emergency situation, but discerning that is also important.
0: Uh, uh, that is that is a powerful lesson, and and I agree 100% with you. Um, and you know, there's the old tale of importance and urgency. And um, you know, one of the things that uh, that I observed in my years in the presidency was that often other people's sense of urgency uh, didn't match um, uh, 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 meet the level of importance and. So um, yeah, uh, that that is really fabulous. Um, I I love that as a takeaway, and especially as I think about, you know, uh, an, uh, an important audience for us is um, you know the the hundreds of people who've been through our AALI leadership programs that consuming that and preserving. That is, thank you for that that morsel. Um, more than a morsel, that might be a main dish even. When when you think about what makes a good leader, and let me be clear: by good, I don't mean grade B, but I mean virtuous and effective, and ultimately able to demonstrate results of successful. Um, what what comes to mind?
1: Well, I read. Jim Collins, you probably read Jim Collins too. And I agree with a lot about what he says about great leaders uh, because humility is an absolute essential. It's not the demonstration of humility. It is the fact that life is going to present you at the top of any organization with enough reflection that you are not going to like what you see. (laughs) (laughs) There are going to be people out there who are going to reflect you back to you, who are are just not going to be wholly enamored with what you do or what you say or who you are. And you have to be able to absorb that with all of the others who will give you great credit and and deserved, as you know, uh, deserved accolades for what you do. So I think the humility to... Uh, to do both, to understand that this is a job, that it does take work, it takes action, it takes interest and learning, learning uh, on the job, compassion, because you work with other people, and it takes dealing with the wins as well as the losses, the successes, as well as the failures in pretty much the same way. And for me, I think of that as a person who can be sustainable over the long-term
0: as yeah. a leader. Yeah, uh, um, again, I, I really appreciate that. I And I, I'm, yeah, the level five leader, um, Jim Collins, and that, that, uh, that humility is, um, And it is, you're one of my very dear friends early on said to me, you have to have tough enough skin that you can take a lot of poking and yet don't let it become so tough that you don't feel the sticks that you need to, that you need to pay attention to. And it's that hard and soft. So, you know, it's also, um, not something you do alone,
1: Mm
0: Um, and I know how important um, uh, you know, those that you have worked with have been. Um, when you're creating a team, what do you look for in those leaders?
1: Uh, I look for a person who can say no to me. Um, that's really essential. It is, a, it is an essential quest when I'm interviewing anyone, especially for a vice presidency that this person can make independent judgment and have the confidence in their judgment to, to, to argue their point of view while still knowing that that might not be the winning point of view. That may not be where the organization goes. So they have to have that peace also, that humility that says, I'm going to give it my best try because I need to offer this organization, someone who values the organization and the people of the organization so much that they wouldn't hold back for their own safety, for Mm -hmm. their own um, amelioration of the risk. They would put it on the table and then talk it through and be willing to accept the outcomes. That's really important to me. Someone who understands that an organization is the interplay of people, not the hierarchy of people. It is where you are in the organization is certainly important, but it is not about advocacy always. It is about understanding and helping to make the judgments that are best for the organization. Um, Wonderful.
0: Um, I would love to have you offer up advice for those folks who may be discerning whether leadership is for them um, or aspire to leadership. What, 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 what advice would you give new leaders? Say that again. What, what advice would you give to new leaders?
1: Oh, take your time, um, be optimistic. I think a lot of new leaders come in, not, not all new leaders, but I believe that again, we are responding to a culture that says to us, we brought you into change, pick out the warts and get rid of them. And if you so focus on the warts, you have lost your opportunity to affiliate with the institution or the organization that you lead. To fall in love and it is like falling in love it is and once you fall in love how differently you go about picking out those areas for improvement and what a different outcome comes of that because you have a different kind of respect for the organization and the people of the organization so I say to people, fall in love with where you are. Love every piece of it. And then start to work with people about making it better. Don't focus on what is wrong immediately, because that will be what they forever think of you and what you will forever think of the organization.
0: Uh, I love that. Yeah, bloom where you're planted. It is. The very best way to move institutions to higher learning forward is to love them forward, um, not yeah. to not to not to beat them um, forward. And and you're so right. There are elements about um, these processes um, of transition where we take stock and we think about okay, where where where, where do we want to get stronger? What do we need to do? You know, and uh, those are really powerful words of, of taking your time and falling in love. A um, wonderful contribution. Let, let me move us into a little more of a lightning round where the questions are shorter. You can answer with whatever length you wish. Who's had the most profound influence on you?
1: I think it, it is, uh, maybe generational That is, There's in these 10 years, someone's had profound okay. inspiration for me. Uh, Certainly the first president I worked for and the only president I worked hand in glove with, Stephen Weber, uh, who kind of picked me out out of the faculty and brought me in as executive assistant to the president and gave me that perch to see from the presidential suite what goes on there. Uh, which was eye-opening to say the least, mind-blowing in many ways. Um, He certainly had a profound effect on me because he had so many of the qualities of optimism and falling in love and uh, yet taking his time making analytical decisions and such. He certainly had a profound effect on me. Um, My parents had a profound effect on me because of the way they were constant supporters. And I knew the benefit of that. When there is unconditional support, unconditional love, so much good can come of that. especially if you are in a situation where you can improve and you can get better. So those are are very important. But I would say there are faculty who also make a difference in my life. Uh, And right now we have some faculty leaders at our institution who I admire so much for their measured way of addressing some of the issues before us, of their deft way of handling some of the more explosive things that happen around the institution. And yet their real uh, authenticity in presenting me with what they see as uh,
0: uh, you know, an honest assessment. Uh, uh, that's fabulous. Um, I, I I worked with a colleague who once said, we all benefit when we have loving critics, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that deafness and that honesty, but it also sounds like you're, you're really talking about a a quality that expresses something about the campus culture of, of, uh, uh, of, 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 of a really salutary nature um, uh, because you said the way they choose their words and, and, uh, 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 you know, and that does matter for all of us. Is there a book that's had the most significant influence on you?
1: Oh, a book, a book. I don't know if there's a book.
0: Um, You can mention more than one.
1: (laughs) I I suppose (laughs) you won't know it. The Women's Room by Marilyn French. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, are, there are a number of feminist books out there that have had uh, significant, uh, absolutely significant impact on my life because it is something that I, I do read a great deal in that vein. Um, I, I read about higher education, but I don't always take my cues from higher education uh, texts. I take my cues and apply them to higher education from whatever I happen to be reading. I'm not much of a fiction reader. Um, occasionally I read fiction, but, uh, but more so I like to read uh, about organizational mm-hmm. philosophy. I like to read about organizational change, organizational success. I like to read about current events. I like to read biographies a great deal also. So I, I don't know if I could
0: pick out one. That that is perfectly fine. I, I next question on my uh, list of shorter questions is: Do you have a fondest memory of your undergraduate experience? And you've already shared something, um, you know, in a way of uh, of being an undergraduate with children. So you know, um, I, they, they, these two could mix. Uh,
1: I I for an assignment rather than write an assignment I actually acted in Tristan and Isolde old <laughs> in order to get out of the written assignment.
0: <laughs> I love it, I love it. How about a favorite campus tradition, um, 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 you know, at, at Syracuse or at SUNY Oswego, the two places that you have been rooted?
1: Oswego it is torchlight. Do we have a tradition of greeting a convocation, if you will, of greeting students with a torchlight ceremony on their first night on campus, uh, where we actually light real candles. um, And uh, we do it from the torch of learning. And it's a a short ceremony, but it's very meaningful in that we say, the next time you will be part of this ceremony will be on the eve of your graduation. I love it. uh, and And then we do it again on the eve of their graduation. So that they can pass the torch on. And that's, it's very special. Students don't miss it. You know, you think that they're maybe jaded and they yeah. won't come, but they pack the place.
0: That's spectacular. And, and what a, um, a, a neat tradition bookending their experiences on campus. Mm-hmm. So you were trained as a lawyer. Um, if you hadn't worked in higher ed, what would you have done? Or or I almost could flip this and say, how did a lawyer fall into, um, you know, teaching um, at at SUNY Oswego? Um, Your pick.
1: I wasn't career goal directed. There was a position that opened up. Uh, Literally, the male chair of uh, the department, which was accounting and law, said to me, "We have to hire a woman. (laughs) We don't have any women." In tenure track positions. I was the first woman tenured in the business. Um, I wasn't being hired wow. with tenure. I was being hired for a tenure track position. And um, I said, well, I don't know. I have taught a little bit while I was in school to get a little extra money in the summer. Maybe I'll come and teach in the accounting curriculum for a year. And, and he commits me to take the tenure track position anyway. So I took the tenure track position And I fell in love and I thought, this is just wonderful. I passed the bar exam and I started practicing a little and I thought, I don't like this as well as I like teaching. So I went back to teaching and uh, that's it.
0: Can you imagine another pathway unchosen?
1: Um, I I would imagine I would have ended up in a not-for-profit anyway. Mm -hmm. I would have ended up, uh, contracts is my area, so I would have ended up somehow in negotiation and working with people directly, and I would have ended up in a not-for-profit somewhere, doing something like that.
0: Yep. I want to uh, ask you, I uh, understand that there has been an extraordinary gift commitment made to name a building in your honor. Um, As you uh, face, you know, uh, these next few months, talk a little bit about the meaning of knowing there's going to be a Stanley Hall on the campus of SUNY Oswego.
1: Uh, My whole family was present last week when it was dedicated. The chancellor was here, uh, members of the board of trustees were here. It um, is extremely moving. I had no idea it would be that moving uh, to think about. Um, that being here in, in perpetuity is amazing to me, but just the gratitude of the donors. I will tell you one um, really interesting fact that many of the donors were students of mine, um, and they are, of course, accountants, <laughs> some of them yeah. who, have, uh, who have done well in the world, and, uh, and I'm so grateful to them that money will endow uh, that building, which is a significant building because it needs uh, high-end equipment, it needs um, all kinds of things. And it is often difficult for the campus to keep up the equipment, uh, you know, and now with the endowment, we will be able to do that. So
0: well, that's, that's incredible to um, have former students who have done well and with um, that have done good by way of um, boosting their alma mater and honoring um, uh, someone important in their lives. That doesn't get much better than that, Deborah.
1: It doesn't get much better than that for me either. It, it yeah. was incredible
0: uh, and humbling. You know, yes, yes, yes. You know, one, one of our traditions here on Leaders on Leadership is we like to close by asking our guests to share with listeners in your own words, in your own speaking from the heart, those qualities, uh, the organizational DNA, the organizational culture that has made SUNY Oswego the place that has kept your attention, your love, your devotion, and your leadership over more than four decades?
1: Um, I think it's student-centeredness. And I was struck by that before it became a catchword in higher education. When I first went out to speak to alumni, maybe who graduated in the 30s and 40s when I was first president, and they talked to me about what the institution meant to them and how their professors cared about them right through the depression and through World War II, many of the men had to stop out and go to war, and come back. And uh, and and there were, of course, as happens with many many colleges and universities where many couples formed uh, on those college campuses. Indeed, and the women graduated first, waited for the men to come back from war, and and uh, and sustained them while they were doing it, and but I heard over and over again, stories that I could relate to that still existed on the campus. And I would say, I I think that still happens. I think this place, you will still recognize the place if you come back because they're new faculty, but they still do the same thing. They still care about students. Students are still the center of their universe. And that was to me, the driving force. And it also became the concept by which we renovated both the programs of the institution and the physical spaces of the institution. So today it is a living, breathing concept for the institution that how the lens we use is how does this affect the student experience today and how will it deepen their learning for tomorrow?
0: Um, wonderful, wonderful answer. Um, and I uh, know it's the sort of place that uh, you have had a, an incredible impact on and um, have helped steward and, and maintain that um, dimension of its, of its culture. And makes you wonder, um, uh, how did that come to be? Because uh, we have many such institutions, but we have others that aren't so much. Um, uh, with that sort of singular focus on, uh, on, on our students and their experiences? Time. Yeah.
1: Time was a huge benefit to me. Um, and I, I said this last week um, when I addressed the luncheon that I have been so blessed to have time, time to plan, time to prepare, time to gather resources, time to fail, and time to regroup. And that is not always accorded to an, an, an administration or a president. And I have had the benefit of all of that.
0: Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for all of this. It's been just a joy to have you um, uh, on Leaders on Leadership, Deborah. Uh, I, uh, I value your insights and your wisdom, and I'm deeply grateful for um, uh, your friendship um, and for sharing uh, the journey with you um, as, a, as a wonderful, wonderful leader in American higher education. And I say thank you um, uh, for this opportunity to talk, but thank you for the extraordinary service that you you have provided. Thank you so
1: much, Jay. I really enjoyed this very much.
0: Well, it's been a joy for me and I, uh, I, I, I hate to draw it to an end. I want our listeners to know that we welcome suggestions and thoughts for leaders. We should feature in upcoming segments. You can Send those suggestions to Leadership Podcasts at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcast on the Academic Search website, and wherever you find your podcasts. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy, Deborah, a special joy. You've brightened um, uh, my life today, and I know how many lives you've brightened o- over many decades there. Thank you again uh, uh, for being our guest on today's show. Thanks, Jay.